Welcome to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, April 18th edition of the show. And today, we've got a couple different things to, to talk about here, Jake. Um, first off, I want to congratulate you and say it's a happy tax day. Today is the deadline. Hope you got your taxes in. I didn't, Mo- like weeks and weeks ago. Yeah, got, got mine in at uh, about 11.39 last night. So... As Jake mutes himself, you want to let yeah. people know why you're going to be muting yourself? Today? Yeah. So if you hear me jumping it out as I'm mid-statement, uh, it's because I got COVID last week and it was not fun at all. Um, please, everyone go get vaccinated and boosted. Uh, I was and luckily that saved me from probably being hospitalized, being completely honest with how much it sucked. Um, but still have a little bit of a cough, so doing my best to fight through it and give you all this content that you guys love. Yeah, this is this is a real game seven heroics type. One hundred percent. This is my flu game. This is this is your Jordan flu game. I yeah. think this is this is more impressive than that. Yeah, um, let's go with that. All he had to do was play in an NBA playoff game, so that that doesn't compare <laughs> to the to the kind of mental gymnastics we have to pull off to get also, through these episodes. Also, thanks for just completely uh, passing over that it's a uh, Passover. I was going to get there. Were happy, you? Happy Passover <laughs> to you. you. Thank it's al- you. It's also uh, National Animal Cracker Day. I feel like that's the real star here. <laughs> animal crackers, matzah, <laughs> animal cracker, matzah. <laughs> What's the difference? Oops. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, uh, happy happy Passover to you and to everyone celebrating. And um, yeah, lot, lot, to um, be, lot to be celebrating today. Yes. Seems. Pe- people are wondering if I'm quite frail from COVID right now. <laughs> we'll get yeah. to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, so on the docket today, not really a ton. I mean, this is going to be a, a question-heavy show, which thankfully the people came through big time, and we have a bunch of questions to go through. Um, also, given Jake's uh, health, relative health, we're trying to to keep this tight. There are a few th- a few notes to go over. One thing that we didn't get to talk about after last week's show is the fact that Dallas Aikens, uh, I guess extension, whatever you want to call it, at that point in time, we didn't know the exact details of it and now we do know that it was the club picking up an option for the fourth year so that's an important detail i don't think it really changes anything that we said ultimately um actually no didn't that break while we were recording kind of sort of eric stevens reported that but it was not the the team hadn't announced that it was the essentially the club option so that's that's the biggest thing is since then the club has officially announced that okay so on on the episode we kind of Discussed it. So everything we said kind of still still holds. Stays, still holds. Still, still stays intact. This feels like, I mean, to me, it feels like it's uh, Pat Verbeek potentially not liking what's out there on the market and just wanting to essentially have one, a one-year uh, stopgap. And, uh, and if they end up performing well, great. Then he has his guy. If they don't, it's an easy out. And, and I think at the end of the day, that's what it looks like. And, and I think that it's not a horrible solution i think we'll get into the fact that dallas akins has done himself no favors this past week with some of his coaching decisions and if those continue into next season then uh he might not be here very long yeah so i i think that with the official club word on it from the team i think it is worth kind of just running it through one more time i think that what's interesting is just reading verbeek's comments on it of course you don't want to put too much stock into these um yeah But I think I'll just read the statement. I'm sure most people have seen it by now, but this is what he said. He said, I felt it was necessary. Dallas has had to do a job under difficult circumstances. It's been just two months under me. 
and I thought he deserved to get another year and go from there. We can build our relationship and figure out where the organization goes from there. Um, so I think what's interesting about that statement in particular is that he talked about the fact that it's been just two months under me. And to me, that kind of says, well, he's had a weird go of it, a tough hand, and we haven't necessarily worked together yet. So I think that that leads. So there's a couple things. He wants to give him a fair shake. Maybe there weren't a ton of other candidates out there. And also maybe there's a belief that once they do establish more of a working relationship, have more time together, that things could look a little different. So I yeah. think that the version of Dallas Akins that we're getting right now might not exactly be the one we get next year. Now I would still caution to say that there's, he can only, he can only change so much, yeah. but at least, at least there is some possibility for adjustment there. Yeah. And, and I think one, my biggest takeaway from, that statement is it wasn't necessarily uh, a vote of confidence for Dallas Aikens no. either. There, there was nothing there that necessarily, necessarily said he was happy with or said he's been happy with the way the, the team's been coached. It was just more or less saying that he didn't think he's had a fair shake of things, so he thought he deserved another chance pretty much. Yeah, and there is the follow-up statement, though, that I think doesn't discredit what you're saying, but this is like the one thing that he said in his favor. I think what I've liked best about it is that they've continued to work and not throw in the towel and not quit. To me, that's important. That's telling me a lot about how the coach still has them and is still working to do a job each and every night. That says a lot about his character. So that's kind of like it, right? There's not yeah. much much else there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, even though I'm still pretty skeptical of the way Aikens has, has coached the team, the way that he's handled the younger players – what have you, we, we've gone over it now, so no need to completely rehash it. But I think that this move from the Ducks makes sense given the reasoning that Verbeek has provided. And one more year, I mean, look, here's the thing, by the way. And I think I said this in the last show. But if, uh, if the Ducks are terrible again next year, and, you know, if, if the Ducks are terrible and Dallas Higgins is still the coach, there's really not much downside to that. Because I don't know how much the Ducks can realistically improve this offseason. And, the, and the, the downside is really just now you know, or this isn't really even the downside, but the flip side is, okay, now you know Dallas Akins is not going to be back. Yeah. And you have a better pick in a loaded draft class. Yeah, I mean, I somewhat disagree because I think next season, at a certain point, you need to start pushing. And I, I think agree, that, but I and don't... I, and I think, I think Pat Verbeek is going to do an overhaul to this roster over summer. And I think that he is going to do his best to improve it. I think that yes, I, I I don't think that this was a move that was done with the assumption of well, if it doesn't work out, well, we get a good pick next year. I don't think that's necessarily where Pat Verbeek is viewing this from because I think he's going to go through a lot of work in the off season to improve this roster where that's not where they're going to be sitting next season. Yes, but again, on the flip side, if the worst, it's case not a scenario, bad situation. If the, yeah, that this is just what I'm saying. If fair, fair, fair. fair. If the worst case is that they suck again and that they have a top pick, then that's not so bad. Although probably doesn't speak well to the to the roster. So I am going to be very curious how much Pat Verbeek will try to improve this team in the offseason, which actually leads me probably to the biggest topic of the week. Maybe the biggest topic, depends who you ask, um, which was the conversation on 32 Thoughts between Elliot Freeman and Jeff Merrick, uh, notably regarding John Gibson's future in Anaheim. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the, the kind of interesting note from that was the fact that with Gibson having, and the, the team having had a conversation before the year about, hey, you know, we're trying to move this thing forward. 
we need you to put your best foot forward, him having potentially done that. And now the rumor basically that if Lindholm goes, watch out, watch out for Gibson next because that could be the next shooter drop. John Gibson really wants to win reportedly. And I guess Hampus Lindholm played a really key. He was kind of like a bellwether and all of that for Whoa. Gibson's belief in how committed this team is to winning right now. I mean, it makes sense if you think about it from Gibson's perspective, because right, him, Gibson, I believe, uh, let me think. He's 29. Yeah. And and that's Lindholm's what? 28. Yeah. They're they're about, they're about the same age. Yeah. Yeah, They're about the same age. They've come up with the organization around this era at the same time. They're really, they've really pushed this organization into where it's at. They've been a part of that kind of next core for a while. And once they became the current core, the team really fell apart. And so I I think that from Gibson's perspective, this was his guy that kind of he saw as their best defenseman, the guy that helped him out the most. And so now that he's gone and they don't necessarily have that guy kind of coming up in his mind, I guess, right away to replace uh, Hampus Lindholm, he might want to go somewhere else. And that might be his view. So what you're saying is that John Gibson isn't sold on Jamie Drysdale either? Maybe, maybe. (laughs) Um well, look, here's what I'll say about the, the Gibson situation. Yeah, I think I think we need to start keeping score here because this is now multiple reports, multiple, I guess, murmurs that we yeah. heard from insiders, even on trade deadline day, right? There was the report in NHL Network from Dave Peñota about the fact that the, the Ducks were listening on John Gibson. And so now you have this, which is so much more detailed than what we're used to getting from you know, from reports about the Ducks that it just feels like this is starting this is starting to be real. And I'm just very curious. The Ducks have a lot of playing field here. They have a lot of runway for when they can get this done because Gibson has a lot of term left. But it does stand to reason that you want to ship him out as soon as you can to maximize that return. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, the offseason is a perfect time to look into those deals. And so... Yeah. I don't necessarily think moving Gibson's off the table either. Well, as in this offseason. Would you do it? Depends. At the end of the day, it depends on the return. And I and I think that's the biggest thing for the Ducks is I don't think Gibson and moving him is something that you do just to do it. And I think the large reason for that is you and I actually discussed this, I think it was maybe in November. We've been over this December. a few times. Yeah. But, but I think where we ended up falling on this is that the reason why you keep John Gibson is that kind of looking back to this past week, the Florida game, right? right? Where all goalies are able to give you excellent performances. That's kind of any NHL goalie can, but it's about putting together those streaks of excellent performances. And Gibson hasn't had been able to do that, but he is able to pull those types of games against Florida where that was potentially the best John Gibson game I've ever seen out yeah. of his hat. Like 50 plus saves, all of them just insane saves, like really, really great performance from him. And he's also able to have stretches like he did uh, in the lead up to the all-star break where he was the only reason the ducks were getting wins. And that's the reason why you keep him is that he's has that type of uh, ability within him. But having said that, if the right deal and the right package comes about, you, you move him, And it's because right. you, you have these guys in the system. You have the Lucas Dostal. You have the Cali Klang. And on the flip side, we've seen that John Gibson isn't always this elite goalie. He does have these bad stretches. Like, he's had essentially a second part of the season. You look at uh, save percentage for this team on a rolling 10-game average. I looked at it over the weekend. And if you want to see why the Ducks aren't in the playoff picture, why they fell out of the playoff picture when they were kind of on the bubble, right? And why they've now fallen into being a, a top-10 pick potentially this season— 
and it's the save percentage and it's John Gibson's play tanking. I mean, I think the game on Sunday, that was his first win in in a long time. I can't remember well, the exact well, amount. The, the critical note there is that his save percentage started dipping, but the team's five on five play did not dip. Like Correct. they, they, did, they Correct. didn't, they didn't, like their play did not match his decline. Correct. They're still not an elite team, but it's not because the team in front of him was just so abhorrent. And I mean, look, right now he's got a negative GSAX on the season, and I think the problem with Gibson, we all know, we all recognize the fact that he has these these really high highs that he has th these elite level performances. The problem is, is that there's this boomerang effect where he can also be really cold for a period. And I think the great goalies in the league are really able to maintain some level of positive performance. It yeah. doesn't have to be game breaking. It just has to be a little better than average all the time or, or most of the time. And, and a big, and, and, and with Gibson, Sorry, it's, it, it's almost like one or the other. Sometimes it's either great or terrible. He doesn't have, it, it just doesn't feel like he has a lot of just normal games. Yep. And I mean, a big part of it is as being, as it's been being brought up in our uh, Twitch chat is he's been overworked and the coaching staff hasn't done him favors. And now up on the screen though, for anyone watching yeah. on YouTube or on Twitch, you can see the, the team rolling five on five save percentage. And, this doesn't take into consideration GSAX, doesn't take into consideration shot quality, just raw save percentage on a 10-game rolling average. And you can see from about game 50 or so to game 70-ish, mm -hmm. the 5-on-5 five -five save percentage was significantly below average. And if you want to look at when they really fell out of the playoff picture, really fell off, that is a right about win. And as comparison to XG, if you uh, take a look at the XG, sure, it dips, but it's dips down uh, almost kind of preceding that it, yeah. it almost happens right before the save percentage and, and so and we're we're not trying to say that fundamentally gibson is the reason that the ducks are missing the playoffs it's just that in that particular stretch his play really hurt them yeah it it, it tanked it tanked them and so um <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying to like be politically correct and jake is just like nope tank them it's okay you know this is what happens when i've got that brain cloud and the filter's <laughs> just gone felix um no but but getting back to my point is that sure he has he can be great and has these amazing stretches and can be one of the best goalies in the world when he's on and if he's able to continue that be rested have a coaching staff that takes advantage of him correctly but if you're able to move him he is 29 there are guys coming up within the system and you do have a guy in Anthony Stolarz who is also 28-29 who is playing really good hockey right now. And so if you're able to get, let's say, three first-round pick equivalents mm -hmm. for a John Gibson, whether that's picks, prospects, anything like that, I think you really have to explore it, not just because of the fact of those picks, you could use those picks. You can also trade those picks for other things. What if you just take the picks that you get for John Gibson, flip them to Arizona for Jacob Chikrin? Right, right. Like, well, like the, just in, in that, that hypothetical. That's the whole thing. And, and I do think that if they're going to hang on to him, which I think is still a pretty pretty realistic scenario, Yeah, they really, I mean, I've, we've said this so many times in the show, but they really, really, really need to change how they deploy him. And I, and I do wonder with this new management group, with more of an increased focus on analytics, with just a different philosophy in general, if we're going to see Gibson's workload cut down, if we're going to see Stolarz's number of starts go up, because really, I mean, if it'd be expensive with, with Gibson's cap hit, but at the same time, if you can have a tandem of Gibson and, and Stolarz that's that's closer to being 1A, 1B, 
I think you're getting the best of both worlds in that situation. Yep. Yep. It's exactly. not a, it's not ideal to be paying, you know, what they're paying for that, but at the same time, all things considered, Stolars is barely making anything. So, overall at the position, you're still not allocating that many resources. Yep. Um so th- there's a way to, I think I still want to see Gibson I just want to see one season where they just don't run him into the ground. I just don't have much faith that they're going to do that because they haven't yet. But yeah. it is a it is a different group in charge now, and that could significantly change things. Yep. But uh, outside of that, in the in the Friedman Merrick conversation, not really a whole lot else that's sticking out in my memory. Nope. Um, the Gibson one is is the big takeaway there. And then before we go into our break here, we have about ten or so minutes. The one I want to get into. Trevor Zegris. So hey, one other thing I really want to touch on because the, okay. the Trevor Zegris thing is going to be a much longer one. Just want is to it? briefly mention it should it probably will be. Okay. Um, Ryan Getzloff and Corey Perry played their final game against oh, yeah. each other. That matters. And so that happened on Thursday. Really cool moment. Uh, wasn't able to watch a whole lot of it as I've mentioned earlier on the show for the reason why. Uh, but I did see that they started. They uh, had Corey Perry take the face off. That was yeah. probably such a cool moment for the two of them to have that type of moment. Um, something that probably that's the first time that's ever happened. They probably did in practice screwing around, but I can't imagine that's something they've ever really done. Yeah. Like, ever. Really nice um, touch. I, and so, yeah, it was a really, really cool moment. Something that's really nice to see. And I mean, the, and the two Ducks franchise played well legends in that game. Yeah. <laughs> um, also Troy Terry, almost, almost getting 35 goals or is he at 35 now? Yeah. He's at, he's over 35 now. Yeah. So, Another nice little development there. Um, yeah, and also a really good article by Eric Stevens at The Athletic about the the kind of Perry gets laugh dynamic over the years. I would yep. really recommend checking that out. Um, but yeah, on to the Zegers debate, though. Is it a debate? I don't know. So yesterday during the broadcast, Columbus versus Anaheim, John Ollers essentially just relaying some comments from Dallas Akins. You know, ask, he was asked if any players in the team, any younger players, were looking more run down or, or had hit a wall, I think was the specific question. And, and he talked about, you know, different players and talked about how Trevor Zegers was one of those guys and basically to the effect of, and using the word saying he's looking frail at times. And look, it could be well and true that Trevor Zegers has hit a, a wall, is looking frail, but it just feels a little odd to be saying that about one of your star players publicly the word frail is i mean it's not a it's not a compliment no at, at all i mean it's got a pretty negative connotation to it so for akins to say that it's it's just disappointing i guess that he would say that even if that's what he really feels it it, it just feels like that's not something you want to be saying out loud about your well, top player it's, it's disappointing because i mean i don't know if you would necessarily say he's even hit like I get it if he says he's hit a wall. That's not that bad. The frail part's bad. But has he hit a wall? I mean, he's on pace to have a 60-plus point rookie season. Right. Like, right. And had another two-point night. Sure, points aren't everything. Well, um, I, I was going to say, I, I'm pretty sure at this point we can we can confidently state that Dallas Jenkins is not judging Trevor Zegers on points. Because if he were... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think that we'd be having this kind of conversation. Yes, I, I think the issue that we're having right now is that um, I feel like they are really relying on the eye test with Trevor Trevor Zegers. 
Yeah, and, and they're and they're relying on these singular plays to impact all of their their information. In and last night was a, a key example of that. The the first goal against when he was on the ice, the he kind of ends up gliding. Uh, and uh, I believe it was Jake Bean goes around him and is still yeah. gliding. Jake Bean ends up scoring something that the coaching staff probably would say he needs to be harder on Bean, move his legs, everything like that. And he's had those moments throughout the year. That's he not has. the first time where no, he's been beaten down low. It's not. But if he's consistently like that and consistently getting beat like that, then that would bear itself out in the on-ice numbers. So, And quite frankly, they so, don't bear out com- – oh, are you about to, to – So here's okay. the problem, Jake. Okay. Okay. I, I used to be on that team. Okay. Have and, I not looked at the numbers in a while? Is that and, what's happening right and now? Then I, and then I quickly glanced at Trevor Zegers' REPM charts – uh, before we started, and his defensive impacts have actually really dropped off in the last few weeks, and to the point now where he's he's below replacement level in every defensive metric. Not quite as bad from a shot attempt perspective, but from an expected goals perspective, he is he's a standard deviation below replacement level, which is which is not good. I mean, no. when you when you kind of average all all this out, his offensive impact has also gone down. He's almost He's almost negative value at this point, which is not good. Yes. I, I think kind of my counter to any of this, though, would be... And, well, yes, completely agreed. Like, I'm just I'm just saying that we can't fully say that the numbers disagree because they actually... That's fair. Like, that, fully agree. That's fair. But there's context there. I agree with you. That That's completely fair. Yeah. But having said that, these same exact comments would not be made about, let's say, Isaac Lindstrom. Right. Right? Right. Who has been poor defensively all season has had these types of things, and yet these comments don't come against him. And I think that that's my biggest frustration with this. It's not necessarily the comment, Mm -hmm. per se, because whatever. Dallas Aiken is going to say what he's going to say. It's more so the fact that it's representative of this overarching issue that I've had with how the coaching staff has handled him, which is essentially treating him with baby gloves, giving Mm -hmm. him this weird... Uh, double standard treatment that other players don't get where Trevor Zegers makes a mistake. Then he, he gets benched and he can't play and, and he doesn't get to learn to play through it. Uh, Sam Steele makes a similar mistake and goes back out for the next shift. Right. Uh, Isaac Lundstrom makes mistakes. Same type of thing. And, right. and it's just the, this preferential treat or non-preferential treatment. It's almost like being extra hard on him. I, I just really disagree with it completely, especially this late in the season when now's the time to build it, build him up for next season. Right. To yeah, really get him. You're not building him up like that. No, you're making him look, look over his shoulder. And I mean, to be quite honest, that also probably plays a part in the defensive metrics is if you're worried about every single time you make a mistake that you're going to be benched, you actually end up making more mistakes. Because then you're looking over your shoulder, you're gripping your stick, you're doing, you're you're not going to be doing things the well, right look way. At, in the look at Max Contois. Yeah, who's, exactly. He's basically an afterthought now. Exactly. Yeah. And so if, if you want to look at these metrics, that's a, a great reason why. And, and so, I mean, Rooch brings up Jamie Drysdale as someone that, that doesn't get the same treatment. And so I, I think that's my biggest frustration. I, I think the reason why this is happening is because they there's a there's a I think there's there's a bunch of different factors it's not just one thing but I think one of them is that they see they see what kind of potential Trevor Zegers has they see what kind of energy he brings to the team and I think that there's just a little bit of that old school mentality of hey we got to show we got to show this hot shot 
that he yeah. can't just he can't just get his way all the time. And I think that I don't know the guy. I have no inside information, but just I think that a guy like Trevor Zegers is just out there to win. I think he's just out there having fun. I don't get this kind of insane egomaniac vibe from yeah, him. Yeah, agreed. I think he's just got this huge personality, and I do think that he does respond to coaching. I think that he does want to do well. He wants to make the coaches happy. He's probably not happy that he's getting benched for giving up goals, but I think as a hockey player, you also understand that because that's just how it is. That's how it is for a lot of players. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to be that way for all the young guys and the Ducks, but I think it's just one of those things where because of all that energy that Zegers brings to the team, and now this is completely... Uh, unsubstantiated maybe but because of all that energy brings all that charisma it almost feels like the coaching staff is just trying to rein that in like going out of their way to do so then more so than it's the hockey culture because with culture because look at lundestrom look at drysdale look at sam Steele, soft-spoken guys quiet don't you know you don't ever hear about them really and if you do it's you know it's a it's a good moment on the ice but you don't get the personality stuff and you even saw that in some of the comments from Elliot Tiford in Orange County Register talking about Zegers adjusting to all the attention off the ice. And I, I, it just feels like this concerted effort from the coaching staff all year long to just almost check Zegers' ego. But I just yeah. don't feel like that's needed. No. But that being said, in the, in the interest of fairness, in the interest of consistency, Zegers' defensive numbers right now are really poor. Fair. And, Fair. and so Fair these decisions are substantiated statistically. So That's I can't fair. go I can't go too hard at Aikens, That's but fair. but we've also seen times where Zegers's numbers have not been bad and he's still done this. So yeah. I'm not gonna go too far into saying Aikens is completely validated here either. Yeah, and I think it's one of those situations with where the team's at, whether and now this is kind of maybe a little hypocritical, whether his numbers are good or not right now at this point in the season, you just run him out there and let him kind of figure things out on the fly. Yeah. And I don't think I would be saying that about any player. It needs to be a guy like a Trevor Zegers that you do that with because you're essentially wanting him to learn some things as he's going along and learning how to work through things because not everything's going to be perfect. And now's the time where essentially the games don't matter. So, so let him learn. I will say this though. If you look at, so one thing I like to do when I'm looking at a guy's on ice impacts is I, I then look at the tracking data from Corey Schneider yeah. to see kind of what's going on, what's causing what's causing these larger outputs. Go support Corey, by the way. He's great. Yeah, there was an awesome article written about him in The Athletic, which it's just so cool to see someone like that get the shine that they deserve. Um, but anyway, if you, if you look at the defensive zone numbers for Zegras, he does a lot of great things. He's really good at retrieving the puck. Yeah. He's, he's really good at breaking the puck out, at breaking it out um, You know, with possession. That being said, he is below average when it comes to failed exit percentage. So he's kind of a high-risk, high-reward guy with the puck on his stick, which makes sense. Intuitively, he's trying stuff out there that other guys aren't. He's above average in almost everything else, but that's the one that kind of sticks out. And to me, that makes sense because as a coach, when you're watching a player play and his mistakes are leading to more offense for the other team right away, which is what tends to happen with a failed exit, um, that's going to stick out in your mind more than a guy who's just chipping it out and you don't really see, you don't see the negative effect of that right away. Yeah. It's not quite as apparent. So I still think though that there's, I mean, do you still think Trevor Zegers is going to be a bona fide first line center? Yes, I think so as well. I 
I'm still I'm curious to see what the ceiling will be in terms of his overall game, but I think there's no doubt that he's going to be, you know, top tier offensively. I mean, it's just it's just a matter of kind of bringing it all together now, which I think he's he's on track to do. I I think pairing uh, the track data for from Corey Schneider looking at kind of offensive ability specifically, yeah. and then you you look he's, at that. He's elite. <laughs> yeah, he's elite. You look at that. Yeah. You look at his production, which. Granted, we don't always look at production, but now that we're at a 70-game sample, it's a pretty good, big enough sample where you can look at production yeah. to figure out some things. And, I mean, he's on pace for a 60-point 60 60 season or 60-plus point season as a 20-year-old. Like, yeah. That, that, that is... That bodes that, well. Yes. So, and, I mean, he's a number one center in this league. Yeah. I mean, he he has been at times this season. Yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, this is... And he's been doing this... Hell, he had a two-point night with Jerry Mayhew and Derek Grant on his wings. Hey, Derek Grant, the setup man on, on Zegers' goal. <laughs> I just love that we both were calling out that decision. And then, of course, of course, the you know Derek, Derek Grant goes crazy. Boquist decides to, what for whatever reason, hit the deck so hard there. It's yeah. a good play by Grant. Don't know yeah. what Boquist was doing there, though. Sliding at Derek Grant like that and then just opening up a clear passing lane. Yeah. So with with that being said, though, I mean, now we've. Do you have anything else you want to add on on Zegers? Um. Just on, the, like, I mean, I still think his season is a is a huge success. Yes, one one hundred percent. I do think we'll get some questions about this. I yeah. think that if he was given proper line mates throughout the entirety of the season, mm-hmm. um, and now granted, Raquel and, and Milano for most of the season, were yeah. were really really good for him. Like, not saying that that's bad, but the fact that the past what. 10, 20 games. Mm-hmm. So maybe a quarter of his season has been spent with either, I mean, just including earlier in the season, spent with Nick Delorier or Derek Grant on his wing. Mm-hmm. That That's suboptimal. suboptimal. Right. And I think that that really left a lot of production on the table for him and could have potentially lost him the Calder. Yeah. No, totally. I, I think that he's not going to win the, the Calder, unfortunately. Um, my own personal pick, just because I think he's played so well, is more at Cider. That being said, if you want to be purely analytical, I think Michael Bunting is probably like you almost have to pick Michael Bunting. I, I personally, I wouldn't, and here's my reasoning for it. And this is you would well, pick Bunting. I would not. And here's the the reasoning okay. for it is, and this has actually been applied in the past. So this is not something that is just my opinion. This is something that the writers have used. Is right. that guys that are younger do end up getting more of a plus for having a better season because they're younger. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's just how it works. And the fact that Bunting's twenty six years old, like, <laughs> yeah, he he is a a full blown like he is. If you look at aging curves, he is in his prime. Yeah. Whereas Trevor Zegris, Lucas Raymond, uh, Mort Sider, these guys aren't even at the st- like start of their prime. They're not even close to the start of their prime. And so, to me, if I were personally voting. My top three would be Raymond, Sider, and Zegers. I wouldn't even have Bunting there, mainly because in order for him to be in the top three, he needs to be like 10-plus points above the rest. I feel slightly hypocritical because I was in favor of Artemi Panarin winning the caller. He well, wasn't 26. That, he was 24. He, there was a difference there. McDavid got hurt. McDavid missed like 20 or 30 games that season because he got hurt. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It, it, it was a d- different class, it, completely yeah. different con- like connotation because you had to go strictly off points per game because McDavid played like 60 games. Right. Right. I think that's yeah. okay. Thank you. Thank you for saving me there. Cause I was yeah. starting to feel like, ah, 
Am I am I an actual hypocrite? No, um, because someone brought. I I heard someone bring up that argument with Bunting, and I was just like. McDavid versus Panarin was a different conversation. Age was certainly there, but it was also a games played situation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So fair enough. Um, but yeah, it's unfortunate. I think Zegers had definite potential to win the Calder. Yeah. The I mean, the only way that he does it is if he somehow over the next, I mean, how many games are left? Five games, six games. <laughs> he ends up surpassing Bunting and Bunting has a six point lead on him. Yeah. So not that, impossible, but it, yeah. a, a few things that have to happen there. Um, that being said, though, look, it, it's a shame he won't get the caller very likely, but there's still a very long career there ahead of yeah, him. Yeah, I, I mean, it, the the Calder really, for me, it would have been nice, but it's kind of secondary. At the end of the day, all the Calder shows is that Trevor Zegers had an outstanding season. And yeah. I think without a doubt, with or without the Calder, that's happened. Yeah, and I think it is somewhat frustrating just the way that his season has shaken out because it really felt at one point like he was kind of on that precipice of really breaking out and really taking a step. And then, you know, the way the team went and it feels like Aikens kind of started reining a man at different points. Yep. It just felt like it never fully got off the ground. But again, if you look at the underlying data, um, the tracking data, which again, we highly recommend you go support Corey. Zegers is almost good at everything, especially offensively. Like it's, it's actually kind of nutty how, especially the passing data, how good well, he is and, at shot assists, chance assists, different things like that. Also, look at the power play he's been dealt with lately. Yeah. Like, how how hard is it to put Trevor Zegers and Troy Terry on a power play together? <laughs> it's how hard is it to just put your best players together or just in positions to succeed? Like, we got one game of Milano, Terry, Zegers together, and they had a 90% <laughs> expected goals for percentage. Yeah. Granted, it was against the Coyotes, but still. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, unfortunate. I think I would go with Cider. Um, I don't think Cider has been as good as Bunting, but I think what Cider has done is more impressive. And I yeah. know that's not a perfectly logical argument, but well, it's the best rookie season. So, how do you define best rookie season? Well, it, I mean, Bunting is a rookie by the by the rules. And yes. So, if you're being strict about the rules, then Bunting should like this shouldn't even but, be a debate. But does rookie can like? best rookie season do i think you factor an age into that also i mean that really is a judgment call it is but that's kind of what that is right there when you say best rookie season it's it's kind of adding in that judgment call of of who but had the better rookie season like it, but, it's but a we're, bet. We're, we're defining rookie though as as the definition of like the nhl definition mm -hmm. of rookie not who is the best player like it doesn't say who had the most impressive season, correct? You correct. Know, like but, adjusting but, for age, but it's not a most points season. No, it's not. It's I mean, best. That's true, and I think from that perspective, there is a lot of room for interpretation. Yeah. Okay, I'm back on the cider train. Thank yep, you. There you go. Thank you for there that. Talk, talk me off the ledge. Um, okay. Anything else, or do you want to hear a word from our sponsor here? I think it's time for a word from our sponsor. Okay. So today's show is brought to you by our good friends at Mac Weldon. So it's no secret. We all want to look our best this spring, right? Mack Weldon is the expert when it comes to stylish essentials, perfect for the new season. Whether you want to upgrade your sweats collection or need gear that stands up to the changing weather, Mack Weldon has exactly what you're looking for. And if that's not convenient enough, let me tell you about Mack Weldon's daily wear system. All the clothes work together for real. So whether you're headed to work, going for a run, or just hanging on the couch, getting dressed takes no effort at all. 
I love that. As a lazy person, I love that. Um, let me first admit though, I've become something of a collector of these, and you will too. Mac Walden's Ace Sweatshirts, Sweatpants, and Sweat Shorts are not your average sweats. To be honest, I live in mine. Jake, I think you would probably agree with me. They're um, amazing. I love how insanely soft they are. Plus, they're nice enough to wear to the store or cruise the neighborhood in. I, they're just so comfortable, and you really can just wear them in almost any of these scenarios. Now, this new collection checks all my boxes, and I bet you'll agree. Mac Walden's Atlas Jogger, Half Zip, and Full Zip Jacket are built for success. Rain or shine with a comfortable, water-resistant, and eco-responsible fabric, so I feel as good in them as I do about wearing them. For anyone who's looking to step up their daily routine, don't miss these. So, if you want to check these out, check out Mac Weldon for yourself and save 20% on your first order. Visit MacWeldon.com slash crash. That's C-R-A-S-H and enter promo code crash. Again, that's MacWeldon.com slash crash and enter promo code crash for 20% off. Find your perfect look for this spring. Seriously, check these guys out. I absolutely love Mac Weldon. Wearing a Mac Weldon, almost everything right now. <laughs> So there you go. Very comfortable. Okay. Well, we've got a lot of questions today. Yes. Excited to get excited to get into these. So why don't we just launch ourselves into them face so, first? I'm gonna start with one I got in an email because it's kind of fun. Okay. Uh, from Infamous Sparkman. Uh, <laughs> nice. Saw Good that name. name and I was like, huh? Interesting. So <laughs> got thank your you. attention. <laughs> yeah, Jake. <laughs> would you comfort? That's the only cough. Hopefully, yeah. I'll get in the show. Look at you. I, that's that a, one, that's impressive. The rest got muted. Uh, would you comfort Felix or make fun of him if Derek Grant were to be traded to Montreal in the offseason? I mean, I would definitely comfort him. Really? Ah, oh, that's I appreciate that. Although knowing Montreal, I don't think they would uh, they would uh, trade for him because yeah, I don't, I don't think Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes are that dumb. <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. He doesn't seem like a Marty San Louis guy. Yeah, doesn't do a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, he also said, is Tamu hinting that the Ducks are going to go after Max Domi in free agency because of his reference to Ty Domi? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think that's just Tamu kind of more so being the old, the, the kind of old player from his era and thinking that the Ducks need to have a physical player on the team. Yeah, I, I, I want to just quickly say to the Derek Grant thing, go, yeah. go look at his tracking data. It's his player card for that. It's pretty hilarious. It's hard to tell what he actually does on the ice. Cause am I am I going to pull this up on the show? Yes, I am. You should. Um, what was the question about again? Uh, <laughs> about t- is Timo oh yeah, Timo oh, yeah. Ducks. Okay, so here's the thing with Timo Solani. This I, I'm going to try to to say this correctly, so I don't I don't get in trouble. I think Timo Solani is. I mean, he's the is he the most popular duck of all time? Yeah, I'd agree. So just like popularity wise. And I think that fans love him, you know, whether you're a, an old school type fan or you're a fan who loves, you know, the, the flashy play, the flash, he's a guy who's just, everybody loves. He's, you know, he's a key figure in the community and all that. But I, sometimes I think that when he speaks, people maybe treat his opinion as gospel, which is fine because I understand where that's coming from. But just because one former player, and granted a great former player, I mean a Hall of Fame former player sees it that way, doesn't necessarily mean that's 100% correct. And that doesn't mean that you have to agree with it either. Right, because I, I feel like when you know he's spoken out at different times, fans have kind of rallied around that and said, yes, this guy should be the GM. This guy you know, should be the coach. Particularly with you know the, the Terry Beagle incident. And even though, sure, there's some merit to that, it's just, 
it's just like I don't know. I feel like it's the there's a certain kind of fan that maybe rallies around that more, just yeah. because it's it it harkens to that. Well, I just think school. that yeah, and I just think it's okay to be able to say, well, I disagree with his opinion. Like I, I have every I have all the respect in the world for Solani's career and everything he's done, but I just don't agree with what he's said about on this topic. So yep, that's all agreed. And he said, what would you guys do to improve the Ducks, both the Ducks and the Canadians, if they were to make a trade with each other? Ooh, I don't think we've ever been asked this question. No, we haven't. These, this is why I wanted to go to this. this was, these were good questions. This is actually the most intriguing question I think I've ever gotten. I, I'm going to let the uh, let you take the, the lead on this because you um, know both teams way – you know the Canadians way better than well, I do, obviously. I just so. know one more team that, Yeah, in this the, scenario. The second team in this scenario. Well, I think this is tough because I think that the Canadians are in a very similar situation to the Ducks. That being said, I think the Canadians are much more on the ground floor of their rebuild. And um, uh, Pat Verbeek is trying to improve his roster this offseason. So the question becomes, how badly does he want to improve it? And what type of player, what type of contract is he willing to absorb? Because to me... One player that I could see Pat Verbeek maybe being interested in, and I don't, I, I wouldn't love it, but I could see potentially making sense is Christian Dvorak. He's 26, and he's got three years left on his deal at 4.45. So it's, it's a reasonable cap hit. It's not a ton of term, and he is a guy who does improve the Ducks in the short term. Like, th- like that's the kind of guy who seems to thread that needle of not breaking the bank not going crazy on the you know on the term and still improving you in the short term and he's not too old either um in return i don't really know 100 percent what he would get the canadians because he hasn't had an awesome season but i could see him probably getting a second round pick and maybe some kind of middling prospect Let something me ask like you that this. actually this is- actually maybe a little higher because his contract is so good this would have to be a bigger trade obviously it, yeah but how well, I don't so, know about that because how? No, 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 no. One I'm thinking of right now. Oh, okay, okay. Different trade. Okay. Different, different trade. Okay. Um, how sold are the is the next coaching uh, next coaching staff next GM next everything on Nick Suzuki and his next contract? Uh, all of the rumors are that he's going to be the next captain of the team. All right, never mind. I, <laughs> that that was that was kind of where I was leading with his age, kind of fitting the He's, Ducks window. I mean, yeah, if you're the Ducks, you should be trying to get Nick Suzuki. But I just think that the Canadians completely I mean, fair. They they've said publicly multiple times how much they love him. So. I just know he's had what kind of a rough season. He's had a rough year. He's had I a think, rough year, and maybe it's a situation where they're not as in love with him as the prior g- regime, and, and so no, I, that I, that I, that was just something that kind of popped in my head. Is maybe no, but, yeah, I. If, if it weren't for the fact that I've you keep hearing about how he's going to be the next captain of the team, I, I yeah, it just doesn't make sense. But outside of that, I, I think that's really kind of like the only match. I mean, maybe a guy like Ryan Paling, who's 23, has another year left, and maybe the Canadians just don't see a fit for him in their r- roster long term. Maybe the Ducks want to just take a flyer on him to increase their depth. I don't know. But there's not a ton of trades to be made. Maybe Paul Byron. He's got one year left, and he's a guy who has shown, I mean, who's been a good depth player in the past and could improve the Ducks' depth next season and I wouldn't mean, cost them an arm and a leg. What about, how about Jonathan Duran? I mean, actually, guy, yeah, guy I, that could play in the <laughs> NHL. 
So Duran's a really interesting case because I think that he he is a player we can help a team. Um, he's just had a really rough go of it. Yep. In the last couple of years, he's only got a year left. And so maybe if you're the Ducks, you just want to take a flyer on him. And maybe that kind of spurs him on a little bit, knowing he's kind of on this in a, in a reset button type of situation. Um, but it's, it's tough to make a deal between these two teams just because I think they're in somewhat of similar situations. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. But a good um, question, though. I love that. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it definitely was. All right. Yeah. Shaken Wings asks, what pick are the Ducks most likely to get? Uh, well, let's see. Tankathon. Where are they in the... I think 10th is where they're at right now. Yeah, so right now they're 11th. Okay. Oh, that's... So, I mean, that's the likeliest. <laughs> that's that's statistically the likeliest where they end up. Is I'm going to say they end up at 10. Oh, you're saying from your gut. Yeah. What Not pick are right. the Ducks? Yeah, that's what that the question is. What pick are the Ducks most likely to get, in your opinion? I'm going to go Team Chaos and say they get into the lottery. Ooh. Second? They get in. They get okay. in. I, I won't go. I won't go any further. But they get wow. in. They they, <laughs> they 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 spoil Arizona's day. That's okay. all that matters. I'm good with it. Uh, <laughs> Kempavu said a follow up to that question. Okay. If the Ducks get that number, who would you like to see drafted? So Ugh. let's go with if they end up at second. I don't know anything about this draft class. Uh, I, Logan really, Cooley. Okay, let's go with him. I'm sorry, I hadn't prepped Fine. for that. Question. Let's just say they get the first overall pick. Shane Wright. Yeah, <laughs> the one player I know in this draft. Well, probably I mean, not the only one, but... Nemec, Nemec is also going to be good. Juracek is going to be good. Yeah, Juracek, uh, yeah. There's also the... Uh, what is it? This uh, Slovakian kid? Yeah, Slavkovsky. Slavkovsky is yeah. going to be good. Uh, there, There's a lot of really good players. I mean, Brad Lambert also is there. Yeah, uh, Savoy. Yeah, there, th- this actual... This top 10 is supposed to be really, really good. It reminds me a little bit of the Drysdale draft where there's kind of this crop of guys at the top who are, there's oh, not see, like I was going to say the Zegras one. Yeah. The, Z- the Zegras draft, I think more so because the Drysdale draft really, there was that crop, uh, there was the top two and then kind of a, a five or six after that, that you could all lump in together that were kind of okay. Whereas the Zegras draft was Jack Hughes, uh, Capo Caco were kind of the, the consensus one, two, Mm-hmm. And then after that, depending on where you look, some people had Zegris as high as three, some as low as ten. Some had Caulfield at fo- Caulfield at four. I some mean, had him lower. Caulfield and, should have been in the top five. Yeah, and, but like Turcotte was put at three. Some like that draft was the top ten was all over the place in yeah. terms of where you saw guys a, go. And, that was a fun draft, and that's kind of where it feels like this draft is going. Honestly, yeah. I mean, I can't really say because I have not dug into it at all. Um, but yeah. Yep. Um, this is going to be a, a trend right here, by the way. Green Bastard said a follow up on that question, though. If the Ducks draft that player, when would you expect him to enter the lineup full time? <laughs> I don't I don't have enough information to Shane Wright <laughs> next season. Well, well, yeah, sure. If it's Shane Wright. But outside of that, I just I have no idea. I mean, I think that, right right now they have they have a pretty crowded roster and I, I feel like they want to give them, I mean, just based off of what Pavarika said about his development philosophy, I feel like they'll give guys time. Yeah. I mean, this is why I set you up for the first overall with Shane, Wright, Just to, to, yeah. to give these easy well, questions. Sure, if it's Shane, Wright, Then yeah. Next and season. then JJ stone drum says a follow up to that question. If the ducks <laughs> play him that year, how many points do you expect him to have as a rookie? Let's go with 60 for Shane, Wright. Appa AG said a follow-up to that question. If the Ducks play him that year, what's his jersey number? 
Oh, God, what's his jersey number? <laughs> quick, quick. <laughs> Shane Wright. Uh, <laughs> Dick is just dying on us here. Um, he is 51, so I think he's set. All right, isn't Dominic Simone 51 right now? Uh-oh. 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 They, they might have to rock, paper, scissors for it. Lewis X209 said a follow-up to that question. If the Ducks oh play him God. that year and give him a number, will they eventually change that number? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think the Murray era is, is done. Ferdinand said, "If follow up to that question, does the hypothetical draft picks number belong in the rafters? What is going on? Is this happening right now? <laughs> no, this was all like earlier in the week. God, I love our Discord. Um, um, no, I mean, well, oh, maybe, maybe right now, <laughs> like tough to say." Olaf is berserker said, "If follow up to that question, does the hypothetical <laughs> hypothetical draft pick become head coach after they retire? No." I'm going to go with Dar- no. Darko Theory said, a follow-up to that question, does the hypothetical hypothetical draft pick become our future captain? Uh, maybe, but I think that they're going to get a captain before that. Okay, that's it. Oh, no. yeah. Th- did you hear what Jeff Merrick said about the captaincy? Yeah, he's been ch- uh, banging that drum all season, though. I feel he's, like that's, he's also I feel been like banging the-, the drum that, that Mason McTavish is the next 1C for the Ducks, and Trevor Zegers is a 2C. I feel like he's kind of flexing his, like, I watch junior hockey card there. Like, I love Jeff. I just think that, I don't know. I We'll have to see. I, I don't I honestly mean, McTavish know enough. could be very, very good. Yes. 100%. Like, if, like if, if Trevor Zegris is, like, a deluxe second-line center, that's not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, people are saying my throat's going to kill me tomorrow. Yeah. I'm working my way through this. Uh, getting a headache now every time I cough. Loads of fun. <laughs> we're, we're getting through it. <laughs> oh. Um. We need, Defren- to, we, need, we need to wrap this up. Defrenzy. All right. Yeah, we're getting through the rest of these. Then we'll come to Twitch. Uh, sorry, people on Twitter that gave me questions. We're not going to get to it. Uh, we'll blitz through the Twitch questions. Then we'll probably get on out of here. JJ Stone or Defrenzy said, it seems like a huge thing with Akins is to spread out the talent among uh, amongst the lines. It happens with the power play. And I feel like it also happens with the top six as well. Is there any merit to spreading out some of the talent amongst the lines? Or would you guys rather have a top loaded top six uh, first power play unit and not as good of a bottom six slash second power play unit? I have a thought, but go for it. Wait, hold on. Sorry, I, I was... Can you repeat the question? I'm not doing this on purpose. Is there any merit to spreading out the talent like Aikens does, or would you rather them load it up on the top six and first power play unit? I think currently with this group, loading it up makes more sense. I don't think there's anything intrinsically wrong with spreading it out, but the way that things are structured right now, I just don't think you're helping a guy like Zegers playing him with you know, 39 and... Wait, what, what, was, what was the season he had 39 goals? Jerry Mayhew in the AHL? Oh, thirty-nine with, the, eight, with the Iowa Wild. That 30, was what it was. Thirty-nine and eighteen, uh, Jerry Mayhew. Um, yeah, I just think you need to, him to play with NHLers. Like it's yeah. not that complicated. One hundred percent. And from my opinion, the Florida Panthers. I mean, this past week, I don't know if you caught this. They did five forwards on the power play. Yeah, and the they just do, le- the Canadians do that too. And they just left out that first power play unit for the entire time, basically. Like, Almost as if that's how you should do it. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Like, this isn't hard. Watch yep. the good teams. I, yep. You know, like, selfishly, I'm excited for the playoffs just so I can watch really good teams, like, consistently. Yep. I'm excited to watch the Panthers. I'm jumping on their bandwagon. They won't win. I'm jumping on their bandwagon. It's Calgary. It's Calgary's year. Get, get, give me give me a, a Cats Cup. Cats Cup. <laughs> you know, I just realized, or I think I heard this in a podcast, that uh, a, a Avs-Panthers final would be a rematch from 1996. Yeah. 
Not quite the same uh, teams, no. though. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, JJ Stonedrop says, do you see the NHL ever doing a weekend, a player's weekend like the MLB? Players have their nicknames on the back of the jerseys, crazy tape colors, crazy tints. I think it would be a lot of fun and bring a lot of personality. Sure. Why not? Yeah, I think they, do it. I, th- I think they're trying to get more fun. Yep. Uh, Will said, first of all, hog Sameach to, to Jake. Uh, Troy Terry is on a shooting bender, uh, percentage bender, shooting 20% of the season. Knowing that this is, uh, this is and his point totals are very likely going to come down next year with the departure of Getzloff, does Verbeek extend him based on this year or wait until he hits RFA status after next year? And what does his deal look Terry? like? Terry? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think if you're Pat Verbeek, you kind of want to wait, no? Like, cause, cause right now Terry has all yeah. the, the leverage I would say. Yeah. Um, but I think that that also makes Terry want to lock up a deal now. And so right. maybe, and so maybe, maybe that he, makes it more like, maybe he's more willing to do that. I could see it happening this summer. I think because, both, both sides maybe just try to get it done. Sure. The, the, the shooting percentage is going to go down. Right. But if he ends up getting paired with Trevor Zegers next season and he ends up racking up the, the assists, the point total is pretty much is somewhat sustainable for him. Yeah, I so, agree. I think having seen that and seeing that in the stats, I think locking him up, I think a four times five. Yeah, I mean that would be great value. Yeah, maybe six. Yeah, it it depends because he's gonna be what twenty six by the time he's an RFA. Mm-hmm. So that takes him until he's thirty. So what kind of contract does he want? Yeah, is is also part of it. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, we'll also ask also ask how do I explain. To someone stressing the human element, the analytics are by and large a quantitative representation of the human element, aka how do I explain that to my mom because uh, my mom that just uh, because Derek Grant has points doesn't mean he's good. Well, what I would say is just that numbers are just telling you what's happening on the ice. Like there's no numbers without the on ice component. So there's really no difference between I mean, in a way, there's no difference between the eye test and the stats because the stats are just telling you exactly what happened. The difference is when you're looking at numbers, you can catch stuff that you didn't catch while you were watching because it's just impossible to catch everything while you're watching. The two-foot pass below the goal line that leads to a breakout that doesn't cause your team to be caught in the defensive zone isn't something that sticks out in your head any time that you're watching a game as a great play, but that's a really important play to lead to transition and lead to offensive zone time. And so if a player does that nine out of 10 times and then one out of 10 times they turn the puck over and it leads to a goal against, you're going to remember that one out of 10 times, even though that's just one play and the rest of the time they were actually doing something to extremely help their team and help create goals. And so the way that I would uh, explain it though, kind of outside of that is um, think about an equation. All of the, and this is my always go to with this. I've said it on this podcast probably many times at this point. At this point, but all of those things, whether it be what people think, heart, whether it's grit, whether it's all these things, those are inputs into these equations with varying different levels of factors to them in terms of actual importance. And the output to that is the analytics that we look at. They're outputs to the equation. They tell us what has happened on the ice, with the inputs being. Uh, the actual transition play, zone entry, zone exit, passes, everything like that. And so the human element is part of that. And so that is all incorporated into that output with varying degrees of impact. Yep, exactly. that's the way I would do it. Uh, 
Olaf is Berserker said, because uh, CJ had mentioned uh, something about Seiya Suzuki. Uh, and the fact I need to actually probably find this to maybe give myself better context here, but I think it's the fact that the, the T Oh, there's a tweet that CJ put in there. Say Suzuki was asked pregame on how he enjoyed data available on opposing pitchers. He says, I haven't looked at it. He replied via his interpreter. He has preferred to learn and adjust to pitchers in his own way for now, as he adapts to velocity stuff and deliveries in MLB, essentially saying kind of screw analytics. But, um, so the question though, from Olaf is, uh, what's the right level of feeding analytics to player analytics for management coaches rather than players? How much is the right amount for them to digest, analyze themselves instead of being told the outcome of the analysis? I mean, I think it like, I don't think there's a one size fits all answer because everybody is different. Some guys love to like, some guys love to like, you, you hear this about players talking about even just, you know, goals and assists where some guys will look at the scoring you know, they give out those sheets before the game where everyone can take a look at the stats. Some guys don't want to look at it. Others do, right? And so I think it's just on an individual basis. I think that what really matters is that you're getting that information to the coaching staff and then it's their job to communicate that to the players, right? And, yeah. they, don't, and they don't have to say it in a way that's, hey, you're giving up X amount of shots from this location. You can just say, hey, you're struggling in this area of the ice, you know, we've been looking at stuff that's saying, and it's like, that that's how you do it. The players need to be worried about keeping fit, about just their technique. They don't really, and you know, the, the, the coaching, the coaching staff is the one that should be relaying that to them. Yeah. So I think and spe specifically for hockey, I think it can be interesting, like for goal scorers, you know, my goals are coming from X area, but even then it's not a static sport. So it's not as if, okay, because my goals are coming from the slot, that means I need to just go stand in the slot, right? Are those mm -hmm. shots coming off the rush? Are they coming off the cycle? Like there's just so much granularity and, and there's so much of a dynamic element to this sport that I really think for players, it, I don't know how much they really need to, to think about it or look yeah, at it. And there was a great quote or a great interview actually with, um, with Bruce Cassidy where he was asked yeah. to, and had a yep. really thoughtful and insightful uh, thought on analytics and talked about how he basically will take the the stuff that they give him and look at it and figure out a game plan based on it, whether it's the fact that they're going against a team that really denies zone entries well and looks at this mm -hmm. type of stuff. And he's like, sometimes they're up there, they're coming up with these stats and numbers, and I don't like all of them, but there's ones where I do like them and, and I really work with them on it. And right. um it was a really fascinating interview that I think really goes into depth about how it should be used. It, it it's something. It's a tool it's, that the. It's a tool. It's information at that. And end it's of a day. top down thing, right? Like this needs to be part of the organizational culture that this information is going to be implemented. It's going to be valued, right? Yeah. Um, because if you don't have that coming from the top, most coaches, you know, it's really just left up to them whether or not they're curious about it. I think yeah. a lot of coaches are, but maybe they don't know how to interpret it. Maybe they're not comfortable with it, what have you. It, it, it's not crazy because that's not how most have gone about their careers. And so I think that's the exciting thing from a Ducks perspective is that now they have this management group that I think is far more uh, pro-analytics. And I think now it's going to come down from the top as opposed to before where it was kind of wishy-washy, basically. Yep. And then Dark Theory for the final question from our Discord said, is Dallas Akins the reason Zegers doesn't win the Calder? Terrible line construction, benchings, ETC. Uh, yes and no. I think that it hasn't helped, but he's had some really stiff competition as well. Yeah, I'm gonna just straight up go. Yeah, I, I think that if he had better line mates, was put he, on the power. Well, because if he's the leading point getter, 
Yeah, exactly. He probably wins. Yeah, it's he's off by six points. That's fair. Did Dallas Aikens cost him six points with how he he used him at different points in time? Probably, at least. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm just straight up going yes. Um, all Parker. right. So now it's time to go to our Twitch. So for those of you on YouTube, yes, we're at YouTube.com/slash Crash Spawn. Uh, or if you're uh, listening on your favorite podcast services, you can find us each and every Monday at 8 p.m. at twitch.tv slash Crash Spawn, where you can help support us. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every uh, month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days, and by doing that, you help support this show. You get a free uh, special emotes in the chat and special badges next to your name. So we had some questions earlier. So Fat Draw had asked, what prospects crack the lineup next year and do they make it full time? I think McTavish is going to make it. I think that there is, I think he just really fits. I think he really fits what uh, Pat Verbeek is looking for. You know, you've heard him talk about how he values strength, how he values physical fitness. And I mean, Mason McTavish, we've, we've seen him up close. Like he has that already. And he's gotten his time you know, his, his, his grooming in, in junior hockey and just the way that the, the, the agreement is set up where it's juniors or the NHL, I think he's going to make the team. It just it just feels like the stars are aligning for him. Um, outside of that, I could see Zellweger getting a, a shot early on, but he's still so young. And look, he doesn't exactly fit the Verbeek mold of size and, and uh, strength necessarily. Um, so I think they might want to give him a little bit more time in junior, which isn't crazy. No, by the way. Yeah. Um, oh, real quick on the, the note of prospects, Jackson Lacombe said he's going back for his senior year. Yeah. Yeah. So, which I think just- is, again, we, we talked about it with Thrun last week, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they didn't have a season. Uh, no, he had a season a couple of years ago. Yeah. That was only the Ivy league that didn't play. Oh, well shit. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, back. they played Minnesota. He's played three years at Minnesota. And now is their concern. Um, potentially. I mean, it, it's something that is always going to be a concern with the fact that now he can go sign elsewhere on August 15th of 2023. I mean, the thing for the Ducks is, um, it, it's really not that much different now than it was if he were to sign his contract now for next season, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because right now, if he, they want him to sign an ATO now and his, uh, uh, ELC starting next year. That's not different than just having him sign his ELC after his college season. Right. So from his perspective, there's not really a big difference, and he's able to go back to college if he wants to do that. So, um, yeah. So I, I think there's cause for some concern. I don't think it's uh, full, full-blown full concern yet, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, Austin Price asks, what defines a successful offseason for the Ducks? And secondly, can Zegers be the best player on a Stanley Cup team, or will the Ducks need another star? I think Zegers can be. I think that he still has some development to do. I don't. He's clearly not right now the final form of what no, he can be. He's twenty-one. Um, yeah, and so I, I still, I still do have some questions there because it's hard to fully know until you've seen it. But he has so much. I mean, the offensive upside is just so high, and we haven't seen him be really properly surrounded consistently. That I think he can be that. Yes. Um, and then what constitutes a successful offseason? I mean, for me, what would be successful would be to make this team a, a more competitive roster for next season without mortgaging the future in terms of taking on a bunch of term or cap hit. Finding a way to, to 
be more competitive, but not also take yourself out of any flexibility. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sith Lord Buscemi said, uh, I, I think kind of for trades, just backing off real quick, I think it, it's going to be a lot of picks is what they're going to try to move. Yeah. To, sure. to get guys if they do that. Uh, Sith Lord Buscemi said, do you think Zegris eventually is forced to quote unquote bend the knee to the old head culture and tone his personality down with possible pressure from his own coach, his guys getting assaulted, defending him? Feels like the <laughs> culture has won every time before in beating the personality out of guys. No, I don't think so because look at the way the team is promoting him, right? I yeah, mean, the, exactly. the social media element, the marketing element, the, the league element, like no one, <laughs> a lot of people outside of Dallas Higgins are involved here. And I don't think that Dallas Higgins wants his personality to go away either. I just think he wants him to do what he wants defensively. Like, I, I don't think Dallas Higgins wants Zegers' personality to go away. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. That, um, I mean, I, I find that hard to believe, just yeah. based on what he, what he said. Yeah. Um, all right. Goons Never Say Die said, question, do you think Jacob Perot is not a lock to make the NHL lineup next season? No, I don't think he's a lock at all. Um, I mean, I think he has a he has a very good chance just because of where he's at in his development curve. But he's just one of those guys where he's going to have to fight for a spot. I mean, that's just kind of the way that I think they're going to go about it. And I think that the Ducks are going to add players in the offseason. They're probably going to add forwards. And it's it's just going to be a battle. So I, I think it's going to be tough for him. I would love to see him make it. I would love to see him make that jump, though. Yep. Um, let's end with this final question. Rooch20 asked, do you see Zegris' final form similar to those of a Super Saiyan Blue? I don't know what that is. Did you never watch Dragon Ball Z? I mean, to be honest, I don't know Super Saiyan Blue. The last Dragon Ball Z saga I think I watched was maybe the Boo saga. The one I... Re- the- the the Frieza saga is the last one I remember in depth watching, which, if I'm remembering correctly, is when he goes Super Saiyan. So I don't is Super Saiyan Blue, Super Saiyan Two, maybe. It, it, maybe it's blue hair. I think is where it goes instead of gold hair. My eyes are just glazing over right now, like a donut. Did you never watch? Dra- Did you not watch Toonami? I mean, you're I'm not wa- that much. You're not that much younger than me. Look. I, I played outside while you were glued to the TV. <laughs> this, was, this was back when if you missed a, a day of watching it, you missed an episode and you couldn't go back and rewatch it. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I never, my parents never let me watch much TV as a kid. So, well, I'm better for it though. Look at me now. I mean, I came out all red and I watched TV. <laughs> we won't get into wow. that. Wow. <laughs> I got a cough out of Jake on that one. <laughs> he's, 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 yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. People are people are lost here. We're getting some bad feedback in the in the chat. Sorry, everybody. Sorry for you to wrap I, us up. I'm trying. I'm trying to get us off this topic, but Jake is just tripling tripling down. Jake is Tyson gnashing it. Um, okay. Well, on that note, I think we should wrap up here. Uh, let Jake get some some well earned rest, and uh, I think we've covered every now we're not doing cities today unfortunately i would really like to getting a nice salem appearance though on screen so hopefully that does make up for it maybe get some purring asmr oh yeah there we go i wonder if you can hear this in the recorded version jake has her right up to the mic salem the black cat oh fat said when is cj's next appearance yeah next monday 
We're yes. doing we're doing a threesome. Yes. So wow. <laughs> what? Yeah. For Ryan Getzloff's final game. Is that not the right term? <laughs> yep, we're having a threesome for uh, for Ryan Getzloff's last game. <laughs> I'm texting. I'm texting CJ this. I don't think I said anything inaccurate. It's just up to you to interpret that how you wish. Um, but on that note, <laughs> we should really wrap up. Um, if you've been enjoying our show, if you've been enjoying what we do here, you have a few easy ways to support us. The number one way is by checking out our Patreon page, <laughs> patreon.com slash crash the pond. A couple different tiers there for you to support us at. Uh, for $1 a month, you get access to our patrons only Discord chan- or Discord server, which is a ton of fun. It's it's a thriving community of diehard Ducks fans. Even if you're not a Ducks fan, you're still welcome to join. Lots of constructive, respectful conversation in there about the team, but we have different channels about food, about different sports, pop culture. It's a lot of fun. Um, I honestly, for a dollar a month, you you could do so much worse than massively improving your internet experience. Um, now, for five dollars a month, you still get access to that, but you also get two bonus episodes that we do. Um, so probably now with the playoffs coming up, we'll we'll probably get our, our playoff predictions for round one in. We'll do an episode on that. On those episodes, we go more league wide. Uh, we we do rankings. We sometimes go more in depth on specific ducks topics, and we're a little more unfiltered. Although I think after today. That, that might not be quite as salient. I don't know. Um, that's for $5 a month. And you can also make a even higher pledge a month of $15. If you do that, we really, really appreciate it. But you don't have to pledge us any money though a month to support the show. Help us keep this thing going. You can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do so, uh, we will read it on the show. We love hearing from you guys and it really does help out a ton. You can find us on all of your podcast platforms. So we're also on Spotify. Leave us a rating there. You can also find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. So Jake will post the video version of the show. Make sure to subscribe there. Make sure to turn on your notifications and make sure to check out our website, crashthepond.com. We've got articles going up there about the ducks. That's where you can find the podcast episodes as well. And we've also got a shop, crashthepond.com slash shop. Um, you know, it's springtime. Maybe the weather's warming up a little bit. Get yourself a nice Crash the Pond logo t-shirt. Um, you can get them with the Eggplant and Jade logo. You can also get it in the orange and black logo. We've also got stickers now. Uh, you can get different sizes of sticker, different colorways. And we've also got coffee mugs. So again, hasn't happened yet, but if you get a coffee mug, please take a picture and tag us on Twitter at Crash the Pond. Uh, Crash the Pond is also on Facebook. Jake is on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. And I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard, but that will do it for us tonight, guys. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next Monday. Have a good one. Bye.